This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I just love it on Fridays when uh, something tickles our fancy and we just throw caution to the wind and we go with it. Uh, All this talk of goulash... Made us wonder what's in your goulash. Six five one six four one. That's not a euphemism. One zero seven one. It's really not a euphemism. What's in uh, your goulash? Literally, when your family made goulash, what was in the goulash? I don't know about you guys. I when my mom was like, when I said what's for dinner, and she said goulash, I was like, oh, oh it's yeah. kind of boring. Ooh, so can I just I define it. terms? I wish you would. Because I grew up in a different place. Uh, Holly, you kind of did, but not really. You grew up here. But anyway, long story. Um, so goulash, because you were going to Google goulash to see I, what was I in did. it. Like, I what is the classic goulash. goulash? Yeah. And there's a difference between like American goulash, because I feel like there are going to be some Hungarian people out there mm-hmm. who are like, that is not goulash. Goula- They're Russian. <laughs> I don't know. That's my every accent yep. for that part of the world. Um the goulash of Hungary is not ground beef, elbow noodles, and like canned tomatoes. It's like chunks they, of beef. Have they not had our goulash? <laughs> it's like paprika beef stew. Oh, that sounds good, actually. So um, I would be hungry know, for that goulash. We know, so don't you don't need to call and you know, like that's not really goulash. Yeah, we're talking about like your Minnesotan, we're talking like about a down home goulash, good old American goulash. Yeah, what's in your goulash? Right? Uh, 651-641-1071. Okay, to my knowledge, and if my mother is listening, Diane, please send me a text and tell me, because I don't even know what the recipe is because I ain't never made it for my children. But my recollection is it was like the elbow noodles, ground beef, like a can of um, crushed tomatoes. Yeah. I I believe we had corn in our goulash. Okay. And then that was kind of it. Maybe some cheese, but I actually don't even think there was cheese on it. I literally I, think it was just a mess of that stuff. The only thing I can see other than what you just mentioned is onions, maybe. I mean, that would be peas. lovely. Although I don't feel like the peas, because here was, we had an alternative goulash, which was instead of tomatoes, a can of cream and mushroom soup. Oh, that's the one that you called blank on a, on a shingle. Yeah. Yeah. But I think we kind of called it all because my dad just always called it SOS. Uh-huh. We're having SOS for dinner. Uh-huh. Which is the thing that's on the yeah. shingle. Which is actually like chip beef on toast. Right. Traditionally. With like gravy. But I think they, I don't know where that got caught up in translation. Yeah, I don't either. But I remember distinctly somebody calling something goulash. I was like, oh no, that's bleep on a shingle. And it's not. Yeah. Can I just really quickly before we get to our calls, and by the way, the question is, what's in your goulash? 651-641-1071. I have got to take Martha Stewart to task. Why? Because you know that woman tried to class up your good old trashy goulash. What with did she like, do with it? I'll tell you. Okay, so here, just, I'm not even going to, I won't tell you how to make it because that would take forever. But here are some of the ingredients. 
Two pounds of stew beef cut into one inch cubes. Okay, you lost me, girl. It's ground beef. Wrong. Uh, let's see. Moving down, moving down. Uh, one half cup dry red wine. No, girl. Yeah. You're making goulash because you don't know how to cook with wine. We don't do that with goulash. Uh, she does have the cans of diced tomatoes uh, and some beef broth and tomato paste, et cetera, et cetera. But there's weight and like. She's got potatoes in She's here. She's just trying to make that Hungarian Girl, thing. But no, I don't do that. Just give me my noodles. <laughs> Let's go to the phones. Corinne is on the line. Corinne, what's in your goulash, Corinne? So I didn't grow up in Minnesota. Um, my mom always made goulash, and it was the just tomatoes, elbow macaroni, ground beef, the normal stuff. Maybe a little Worcestershire if she was feeling a little Ooh, fancy. fancy. And yeah, I know. And then we would put like Parmesan cheese on it, like Kraft, like sprinkly oh, yeah. cheese. Yeah. Um, but when I got out here and I met my husband, he said that his family, oh God, I'm going to try not to dry heave when I say it. <laughs> his, his family puts corn in it. Oh, Colleen's family yeah, did too. my family corned it. <laughs> no, Colleen. Oh my God. I know. That's why I hated it, Corinne, because I think corn is a waste. If I'm well, being perfectly honest. Like, Oh, that well, and I'm like that is not that's not goulash. That's basically like some hybridized Frankenstein, like hot dish situation. <laughs> I, I just no, Corinne, that's how I felt about it too. I understand. That's hilarious. And sometimes, <laughs> sometimes they would use cream of mushroom soup. Too. Oh yeah. Oh. 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 That's it's so good. No, I, I I have to stand up for my cream of mushroom soup because that stuff was that was some real eating. Thanks for your call, Corinne. This is what I wonder about, like the the family goulash that circulated in in Minneapolis like we didn't have the internet right like we didn't you could the goulash, goulash spread yeah like how did the well, goulash because you know spread like and, Beverly and, came over uh while you know Barb was making busy. dinner one night mm-hmm. and she was like oh what are you making and she's like oh goulash and yeah. she's like well what do you put in your goulash let me get a recipe card so I can write this down yeah. also corn is a utility Corn is dumb. No, okay, y'all are doing it wrong. Oh, corn is okay. amazing, and I love corn. It's great on a canned cob. corn is trash. Right. So if you get corn like fresh corn, yeah, and you can do amazing things with fresh corn. Yeah, I don't like. I love corn on the cob, and I like it when you can like blanch it and then, and then you just saw it off the side. It's nice, but most <laughs> it's nice. <laughs> it's nice. But most everything corn. It's nice. <laughs> calls for the can of corn, and that's trash, and oh, that's nonsense. There is one place that that canned corn is not going to... I don't trust anything. Have you had corn souffle? Yes, what yum. Is, what the heck is that? Oh, I'm going to change your life. I'm going to make it some point before the end of the year. My aunt makes this corn souffle. You will want to put things in it. <laughs> That you only bring out in the bedroom is okay. all I'm going to say. Hey, I, I only have really not many of those things. You're going to want to rub it all over your body. Okay. It's Let's that go good. to the. All righty. That's the corn souffle music. Let's go to Joey. <laughs> Hi, Joey. Joey, what's in your goulash? Hey, I uh, just started making goulash recently for my kids because my daughter likes everything pasta. Yeah. And so I was trying to remember how we made it when I was a kid. And I think I figured out. That in our house, um, <laughs> goulash was basically chili, but without the beans and the chili powder. I okay. think my mom just kind of made the same thing, just changed out a couple of uh, ingredients. And did but, you yeah, did so you put elbow macaroni in, like macaroni in it, noodles? Yes. Did you put that in chili too? No, no. So okay. you switch out the the pasta for the beans. 
Gosh. And it's basically, you know, the way Chili worked in our Gosh, house. That's so funny. Thank you. It was. I, it, the realization just hit me just, you know, <laughs> just this last year when I started making it for my kids. Oh, that's so funny. Thank you, Joey. I will say, goulash to me, is, much like chili, is something you could accidentally make. Like, you don't actually need a recipe so, for it. What she's talking about, if you did add the chili ingredients and you just dumped in the macaroni, yeah. it's chili mac. Yeah. Like, have you, did you have that when you were no. a kid? Oh. Mm-mm. So, chili mac is just chili with elbow noodles and no beans. Don't even get me started with, like, some people put rice in their chili. Oh, it's good. Oh, yeah. So, I'm I make a really good, good meaty chili. It feel like chili to me. To me, you don't put it in. Well, here's the thing. Having lived in Texas, Anything that we call chili, they would laugh at us for oh, eating sure. because their chili is like, first of all, it doesn't have beans in it. I mean, you can find chili with beans in Texas. Please don't call. But to them, chili is like meat and gravy yep. with all the like peppery stuff. stuff. None of that other junk that we put. No mushrooms. No. Who puts mushrooms in their chili? I don't know. I used to do that all the time. I would make, like, put everything in chili. Well, that's kind of what I think chili is just you're cleaning out your cupboards. It's a pantry. That's how I feel about goulash. (laughs) It is. Uh, Okay, let's uh, talk to Megan. Hello, Megan. Megan, Megan, what's in your goulash? Hey, um, this is uh, Megan. And um, I just want to say, number one, rice on chili is the best. Okay. And number two, um, I actually lived in Hungary for two years, so I, I follow a fairly traditional um, recipe for oh, gulash. Yeah. However, it is allowed to put it on noodles. Oh. I just wanted to come say that. Ah, good to know. The, re- the recipe does say you can make the little like dump- dumplings that are like uh, shvetzlau or like no cheese. Yeah. But you can serve it on noodles if you don't want to deal with that crap. Good, good to, to know. know. Thank you, Megan. We are allowed noodles in our goulash. Thank you. Noodleish. And uh, Betsy will have the final word Noodles. on this. Noolash. Hi, <laughs> Betsy. Betsy, uh, what's in your goulash? Well, I think you're right. You don't put the corn in. I consider goulash everything tomato based. Mm. And you should put onion in with the hamburger when you're frying it. Oh, yeah. But the other thing is, you guys are confusing hot dish and goulash. Okay, tell your us. Your hot dish usually has some kind of a cream soup base. Okay. And then you can put in hamburger, chicken, leftover beef roast, whatever you've got. Mm -hmm. And I do put in a pint of stewed, or or a can, but I have pints of stewed tomatoes in my hot dish, but it's not tomato-based. Oh. And that's the difference between uh, a goulash okay. and a hot dish. So what I'm hearing from so, you, Betsy, is the second that Bradley decides that he wants some cream of mushroom soup in his goulash, it's gone from goulash to hot dish. Yes. Okay. Got good it. to know. Thank you, Betsy. And and, and they're both good. Yes. yes. But, you know. They're just different you, things. You, you shouldn't mix them. Okay. Uh, agreed. Thank Noted. you so much, Betsy. Thank I you. D- I did just want to say. I actually think, and it's fun to talk about what your notion of something is. Uh, by all means, everyone's entitled to their own. I always think of hot dish as something you're put it, pulling out of the oven. Right. Like a goulash is a stovetop experience. I want to say that my mom made it in the oven, but I, she must not be listening because usually she'd be Johnny on the spot with sending me that, that recipe. That to me is a casserole, what I would call a casserole, but obviously Minnesotans would call a hot dish. I always, When I think of goulash, I think you got a skillet, you fried a bunch of stuff up, and you dump a bunch of stuff in. But I, again, 
what do I know? We're yeah. all entitled to. That's what's so fun about what I we mean, do. I apparently <laughs> don't know either because, like, you know, carbs. And we don't do carbs anymore in 2019, which is a tragedy. I'm going to make goulash this week. Watch. Nobody's going to eat it. When we come back on the Colleen and Bradley show, uh, I think we're going to do we're going to do a little early D bag here because well, early D bag. Well, because, oh, actually, you know what? what? I think we might not because I'm getting calls and oh, I'm like, who's calling? And yeah. I think it's it's our it's cheating. our food. Okay, so we're either cheating or telling you about D bags. Oh, that's an exciting tease. Find out what we're going to do next on the Colleen and Bradley show on My Talk 107.1. Fridays are the best on the Colleen and Bradley Show, My Talk 1071, streaming live at MyTalk1071.com. Everything entertainment, Colleen Lindstrom, Bradley Trainer, who is digging through uh, a bag of goodies uh, because each and every Friday we like to do something a little bit naughty. It's a cheat day. Dirty, rotten cheetah. Cheat day taste test. Stick this in your mouth. Okay, so. Uh, we have been very excited about some new flavors that have arrived uh, to fast food restaurants near you. And last week we tried the birthday cake Frosty from Wendy's. And that's Sunday. And that's Sunday, which we were super excited about. But then we got excited about what was being offered uh, ice cream wise from McDonald's. And that is the... It's the Snickers Doodle, Snicker Doodle McFlurry. Yeah. <laughs> the Snicker Doodle has nothing to do with Snickers. Snicker Doodle McFlurry. What's a McFlurry, Colleen? It's basically McDonald's answer to the blizzard. Yeah. And uh, a Snicker so It's a very thick experience. Okay. Ice cream experience. Uh, a Snicker Doodle is a traditional cookie. Uh-huh. I feel like snickerdoodles are inherently Midwestern, but I don't know that. I don't either, but it does feel very Midwestern. It's like a, it's basic to me. to me. I always think of it and correct me because I'm sure some lady out there uh, or gentleman is going to call and be like, actually, a technical thing. But I, I think of it maybe German. Is it German? Schneekerdoodle. Right? Doesn't that sound kind of German? Uh, German and American. A hybrid German-American. cookie. Uh, American. Uh, anyway, to me, a snickerdoodle is always a sugar cookie with cinnamon on mm. it. Pretty close. Or nutmeg or something. You know, it's like spicy cinnamon sugar. Yes. Or sugar cookie. So this is appropriate for the season because Christmas season is all about the snickerdoodles. Of uh, snickerdoodle cookie and cinnamon in the ice cream. Go for it. Okay. Okay. Is it good? Mm -hmm. You're going to love this. Tell me what you're tasting. Here's what this is the game changer in this. The, The chunks of snickerdoodle are... Like it's like a crumbled cookie, so you, and it's not wet, and Ooh. it's like a good experience. So you, we took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Get like the crunch of the cookie crumbs 
surrounded mm. by the yummy ice cream. It's like having a snickerdoodle with a tall glass of really cold milk. But it's all together blended up in an experience. Yeah, what is that? That's cooking? <clears throat> That's the cookie in there. That's mm. all crumbly, right? Oh, yeah. You got it, right? Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. Isn't that delicious? Mm. I would, I mean. I like this better than like a, definitely better than any other. Because, <clears throat> excuse me, the McFlurry, the only other one that I liked was the Stroop Waffle, that one. <clears throat> I don't want the ones with the candy chunks because I don't feel like you taste anything. No, well, you don't like chunky candy in your no, ice I don't. cream. No, this is like. What do you think, Holly? It's good. And it also, there's something nostalgic about McDonald's soft serve. I was just going to say that. Mm-hmm. It has very distinct tastes. Uh-huh. I have not had McDonald's. And back in the day, we didn't necessarily have a ton of, when I lived in Illinois, we didn't have a ton of DQs. And so the only place you went to get a soft serve cone was a McDonald's. And I used to remember going to the drive-thru and getting mm-hmm. the soft serve. Okay, I got us a special so treat. It's so good. Okay, the other special treat you got was? They do. Did you know they do fresh baked chocolate chip cookies no. at McDonald's? I thought they just did those weird little boxes of like prefab cookies. No, these are like fresh baked chocolate chip cookies. And they're gooey. You can, you can have delivered a dozen, a baker's dozen. So literally 13 warm, gooey chocolate chip cookies. Okay, oh. I am not mad at that cookie at all. That is a good cookie. Mm. Right? Okay. Okay, so. How many Cobras? For the Snickerdoodle? I'm giving it five. Yeah, let's do five. I'm five in it, man. 4.5. Oh. I'm going to give the cookie a four. The cookie's real good, though. Temperature. Like, when this gets cold, it might not be. It's like a Marth, uh, sweet Martha. Yeah, you got to eat it while it's hot. Get them while they're hot. Oh, my God. Uh, <clears throat> all right, well, when Dip we come this back. this in the ice cream? We've got some D-bags for you on My Talk 1071. We've got some celebrities behaving badly to tell you about on the Colleen and Bradley show. My Talk 1071 streaming live at MyTalk1071.com. Everything entertainment. Colleen Lindstrom, Bradley Trader. Hey. And uh, we have a name for those celebrities behaving badly. That name is D-Bag. Presenting Lord and Lady Douchebag of the Day. Oh, I'm still not over those cookies in that. Ice cream. That was real good. Mm-hmm. Everybody, run, do not walk to your local McDonald's for the Snickerdoodle McFlurry. And I'm here to tell you, we don't, that is not faint praise. I would not tell you to do it if I didn't mean it. So. We fived that. We don't yeah. five things very often. And those cookies. Those cookies were good. Cookies. Yes. All right. So, uh, okay, but my celebrity behaving badly, that is a D bag yeah. today. Uh, fire walk with me over here because we're going to talk about Tony Robbins. Oh. Curve corner. Uh, okay, apparently, so we first we we read the very first kind of expose written by BuzzFeed News about Tony Robbins and yep. what a gross human he is. Yep. Do you know that that has gone on for six different parts? I did not know that. I didn't either. And now this weekend, I'm probably going to have to go back and read the other four that I have missed. But it was the sixth that caught my attention. This is the sixth part of a series about Tony Robbins being a dirty dog. This one involves children oh. in 1985 at a oh. summer camp. And oh. I'm dead serious. It's sick. Um, this is a, uh, this BuzzFeed News article uh, outlines a camp. Oh, I'm sorry. There's five. Oh, no, this is the sixth part. Okay. And there are five other parts. 
This is a camp, a summer camp in 1985 called Super Camp. And it's an elite summer camp in Southern California. And uh, and in 1985, when um, Tony Robbins was just a young up and comer, he was 25 years old. He uh, would arrive to that camp as a special speaker. And during the time that he was at this camp, uh, as many as, well, more than, I should say, more than two other campers who then also notified other adults at the camp saw, witnessed Tony Robbins in the woods with a young camper, quote, pinning her hands behind her back while he aggressively kissed her. Oh. Essentially forcing her to kiss him. And these him. campers were teenagers? Teenagers. None of them were over the age of 18. Uh, one of the campers who was 16 at the time who saw this happening, uh, she said her first impulse was jealousy because she was 16. But then it hit her that he was a grown man and that her feelings turned, then her feelings turned to anger. Uh, she realized that the camper who he was uh, aggressively kissing was definitely too young uh, and that he was the one that was in the position of power. So, and it profiles more about this camp and how he got there in the first place and other behaviors uh, that he exhibited at the camp, including but not limited to during his speeches, he would try to teach the campers a technique of mirroring the body language of the person who they were talking to. Uh, and he talked about how that would help people be sexually attracted to you. Um, he also talked about other people he coached and he would share really inappropriate sexual details about his coaching with them. And he also essentially hypnotized in front of the whole group, one of the campers oh my God. and tried to make her essentially fall in love with him with moderate success. The profile is very long of this story, oh of it, it, but it is. Do they talk? It reach certainly out to paints him at all. Uh, yes, of course he denies it. Yeah. Outright. I just didn't know if he was saying anything, denied it or what. Denied it outright. Was. But what is also just like sickening is that when uh, the campers told an adult at the camp and the adults then told the camp staff, the, um, administrators, the way that the camp decided to deal with it was to essentially litigate it within the camp rather than bring it to the authorities. And they basically bullied the gal who had made all these accusations into believing that she had it all wrong. Yeah. It's a terrible Which story. Which is a totally believable thing. I mean, you know, the sho- the shocking, not shocking thing about this experience is that this sounds totally plausible and it sounds like something that has probably happened multiple times. I mean, I don't want to say like it was the 80s, but I feel like uh, society was such that looking back, people were far more permissive about um, people blurring lines between adults and children in a way that they just would not be comfortable today. And this, again, whether it was Tony Robbins or somebody else is a story that sounds totally plausible. And, um, you know, I'm glad that people are, having their stories heard and I, it'll be interesting to see what happens to Tony Robbins. Like, do they talk about like, cause I don't know what he's up to today. Like, does he still hang out with Oprah? 
Does he still hang out with all of his other high-powered pals? I think that that's a really good question. I don't know because, again, this is part of a series. So I I do want to go back and read some more of of the series. But this just really focuses on this incident. And and brings us to present day more on the part of the victims and not on Tony Robbins. Yeah. (laughs) But I was thinking about what you just said. Does he still hang out with Oprah? As I was driving in this morning, I was thinking about how many people Oprah has attached herself to who are really not great people. No. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. And it made me think about how careful you have to be when you're in any position. Uh how careful how really careful you need to be about how you endorse a, a person yeah meaning if you are a person who's in oprah's position and you know that you have the midas touch and you can bring somebody from relative obscurity into the the stratosphere in the way that she's capable of doing you really do have to take that very seriously and i don't know that i don't feel like she has because when when you really step back and look at the amount of people that she has publicly sort of given her blessing to who have some real sordid pasts, it's striking. Yep. And it tells me that maybe she hasn't entirely vetted who these people are. And maybe she's best just being Oprah. Well, I think... The world is changing and the things that we were comfortable with are not the things we're comfortable with anymore. And it's realigning and it's going to make a lot of people. I mean, it's not just Oprah. It's just that Oprah happens to be standing in a place where we didn't, you know, she was around a lot of people who were able to gain power and influence. It's the same with like, like I think of people like Hillary Clinton or um, I'm sure there are other people I'm forgetting off the top of my head, but people who reach a certain you know level, there are very few other people around them except for people like this. And a lot of people like this were able to get where they are, men generally, who were able to get away with all sorts of things that you know we don't allow now. Some so questionable tactics. But but the pro. So <clears throat> I'm trying to think how to say this. So. The lesson, I think, is I guarantee you, and we're never going to know for sure, but I guarantee you that Oprah knew things about Harvey Weinstein. I'm sure she'd heard things about uh, Tony Robbins. I don't have any thing to prove that, and very likely she would say no, but you... And I don't know that even if she did, that makes her responsible for anything. Oh, no. Because I don't know that it would be fair. Like, in the moment, she probably thought, well, what am I supposed to do with Harvey Weinstein, even though I know these horrible stories? We've heard people like Meryl Streep say that, um, or other people that were around Harvey Weinstein at the time. Actually, Meryl, I don't think, thought she didn't know anything. But there are other people who maybe just felt like, they. what are they supposed to do? But now I hope that the lesson is for people like Oprah and other people who are around very influential people who may be doing things that are not appropriate, that if they do hear things, that they will act on that behavior. I just think at that time they weren't comfortable for whatever reason doing it. But I guarantee that they they must have known. Right. You know, and just written it off as like, oh, he's kind of a lech or he's kind of a dirty old man like that just doesn't fly anymore. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, in the case of Harvey Weinstein, I can kind of see that where, you know, they kept company, but maybe she hadn't given the official Oprah seal of approval. With Tony Robbins, he was like one of her gurus. Like yeah. this she was, was walking on. She, she yeah. was. She like yeah. elevated him to 
and equal. And then people hear that endorsement and they go, well, Oprah loves him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah like I'm going to go to his seminars and then effectively we're putting money directly into his pockets. Mm-hmm. Because Oprah gave the seal of approval. Well, interestingly enough, the only time I feel like, and maybe she has done it before, but notably when she has actually taken somebody to task for something was the author James Fry with A Million million Little little Pieces pieces, when it turned out that he was fibbing a lot in that memoir that he wrote and she yeah. brought him on the show yep. and basically just like shamed him for making her look like a fool. Like she annihilated him yeah. because she had signed off on his book and he didn't. And he, yeah, and none of it done, was honest. Has she done that with, you know, well, see, that's nobody the interesting else. thing because maybe the distinction going out on a limb here is that she kind of understands where maybe Tony Robbins comes from or Harvey Weinstein or any other thing. But, that but then she, she was so willing to come out. I'm sorry, I just totally oh, go, interrupted no, you, but it. finish after I just say that she has been very forceful in coming out against Michael Jackson, or at least in defense of his victims. Yeah. So uh, there's just some interesting positions. I'm curious. Uh, yeah, I'd be curious. I would love to sit down with her. That'll never oh, happen. I mean, she's uh, that's true. Maybe I can get a little uh, one-on-one time. Do you think she'll oh. just come on the show and give us a real what's what? I think no, but I do want to say one thing before I forget. My friend saw Cindy Crawford last night at Bar La Grassa. Oh, true story. Okay, for real. Or I'm dead just- serious. No, she, could, I can. We got a lot of things happening. I can have a picture sent to me right now. I will. I'm not kidding. Okay. You are. Uh, okay, that's all. That's wow. all I got. Good to know. My friend if thought anybody, that my If anybody can confirm that, by all means, when we come back on the Colleen and Bradley show, uh, we've got to revisit Taylor Swift versus Scooter Braun after this on My Talk 1071. They tell me think with my head, not that thing in my chest. My Talk 1071's 12th annual Santa Project is presented by Park Dental. Bring a toy or gift to Chanhassen Dinner Theaters during the Lori and Julia broadcast. That's happening Tuesday, November 26th. And my talk will get them to the Ronald McDonald House Charities in time for the holidays. All the details and broadcast schedule at mytalk1071.com. Keyword Santa. between Taylor Swift and Scooter Braun has been heating up all week long in advance of the AMAs. Uh, and we've got the scoop on it on the Colleen and Bradley show, My Talk 1071. Streaming live at MyTalk1071.com. Everything Entertainment, Colleen Lindstrom, Bradley Hi, Trainer. Bitches. Hi. What's up? Uh, I don't know. You tell me. What do you mean? What's up with Scooter Braun and Taylor oh, Swift? Oh, you wanted to talk about those two? Yes. Okay. Well, Scooter Braun has finally you know, sort of gotten out there and had his feelings heard on the matter. He's broken his silence. You'll remember that uh, the manager um, was feeling kind of attacked by Taylor Swift. Because yeah, because she, she told people to attack him. She really did. Um, okay, so it turns out um, that he has addressed this months-long dispute with Taylor Swift without referring to her by name. And he did this at Variety's 2019 Entertainment Industry Conference Thursday. He said, there's a lot of things being said and a lot of different opinions, yet the principals haven't had a chance to speak to each other. There's a lot of confusion. And he was, of course, alluding to Taylor Swift, but didn't want to go into details. Um, He said, it's just not my style. I just think we live in a time of toxic division and people thinking that social media is the appropriate place to air out each 
uh, air out on each other and not have conversations. I don't like politicians doing it. I don't like anybody doing it. If that means I've got to be the bad guy longer, I'll be the bad guy longer, but I'm not going to participate. And we talked a little bit about this. Uh, we can go on with some of the other things that he said, but we can. We also talked about this with Elizabeth Reese. And while, because you'll remember, again, Taylor Swift basically told her army to come after him, and he has gotten death threats now. So he's, and he actually posted, you know, what those death threats look like. And there's something, while I know that there is a legitimate argument between the two of these people, I think it is safe to say that he, at least in my opinion, and it's probably because I'm like, I don't know, I'm not a Taylor Swift fan. You know, he seems like he is just being a reasonable person out loud and in public when it comes to responding to this particular line of attack from Taylor Swift. Like instead of inflaming things more on social media and doing a sort of tit for tat, like, well, and another thing, blah, blah, blah. He has sort of made the decision to like, this is not helpful. This is not productive. I would like to be in a room with you and having this conversation. Clearly, though, that's not the motivation or that's not the strategy that Taylor Swift has employed. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously like he's what he's doing is um, is a tactic that makes sense in the sense that he's taking the oxygen out of the out of the, the battle. Yeah. By just, you know, the thing that creates the emotion in the battle is the emotion yeah. in the battle. <clears throat> and that's what Taylor Swift is known for right is for bringing an emotional argument and like laying it out for everybody well and he's essentially just going like i'm not gonna like do that let's just get together and sit down and have a talk which you clearly don't want to do but i also think that that's a strategy that you can only come to when it's already sort of played out so he knows the right thing to do to look like the adult she she kind of is hamstrung on that yeah I just think, you know, I get why she does it because she's playing to her audience and her audience is is the generation of people who believe. And this is what I think. I think I've been around on this planet long enough and lived through the experience of social media long enough to know now that, you know, it used to be that we would see people and maybe to some extent we still do, but I think it's a losing battle. You know, we see people having these emotional outbursts on social media and rightly, I think, but. I think the time has now changed. Um, we're in the more minority, perhaps. But I think, rightly, we reacted by saying, like, why would you bring that out in the open and in public? Why right. wouldn't you just deal with the person directly? Is it really going to help you to have this conversation out in the open? What do you think you're gaining from it? That used to be a normal response. That used to be the adult response. Right. That is not the adult response anymore, mm-hmm. because adults are behaving this way out in public. Professionals, people who have careers in the public eye, they they now use social media to um, sort of, you know, t- they use social media to have those conversations oh. wholeheartedly and with the with the intent to change behavior and get what they want. You know, you're you are absolutely right. And it happens in big ways and small ways. Right. Because. Taylor Swift did it in a big way, but people are rolling their beef out all the time on Twitter and, yeah, about we used to even like, small things. We used to poo-poo that behavior. Right. Like, oh, can you? I mean, we still do, by the way, in private. You know, we look at that and go, really? That's what you're going to do with your social media power that you have? Um, 
But again, I think that's a lo- we're, that's a losing battle. Yeah, we are not we are not yeah. in the majority in that respect because it does get results, whether they are exactly the intended results. Or it gets attention, which is the perceived result that they want. Right. I'm assuming. Right. And so for Taylor Swift, I don't think it was so far beyond the pale when she. And first of all, I don't think it was Taylor Swift acting alone to decide no, this is the way to do this. No, she's just sitting on her bed like, I'm going to write a yeah. letter and put it on Tumblr. No, I think that this was a discussion that was had with her team. But yeah, with, it's a strategy. Where, exactly, where they decided this, A, fits your brand, and B, it does get sort of the public on your side, and then you get a louder roar when everybody's on board. And that's what they were hoping for. Now, what Scooter Braun has done is actually kind of smart in the sense that he's not going to play that same game. He's not going to fight the fire with fire. He's like, like he says in there, and whether or not he means it, I don't know. Because I don't know what he's doing not yeah. like in private. Yeah. But his public battle is going to be, yeah, I might just have to be this way longer but I, you know, I'm here. I'm waiting. Come to me and talk to me. Cool. Yeah. I'll look like the bad guy. I'm a okay with it. Now we don't know what kind of actual shrewd business he's conducting behind the scenes. Yeah. We only know what's being characterized to us from Taylor Swift and Scooter Braun. But it's 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 the way in which people's uh, social media narrative has sort of given the it's the same thing with tabloids like that is that is the op so people reading that reading taylor swift's response Mm -hmm. go yeah you fight you know girl power you go you stand up to the big uh big bad meanie men who are trying to keep you from your art and then you have all these artists coming in and saying yeah artists should control their stuff and so she's galvanizing these people so it's working but again, to your point, behind the scenes, we don't know what's really going on. Right. We don't know what her end game is. I really don't believe, while I do believe Taylor Swift has some beliefs, probably individually, privately, about herself and about what she does for a living. I think that takes ne- that somewhat secondary to what goal they're trying to achieve in terms of, you know, burnishing her brand or making it poising her, positioning her rather, to be as successful as possible. Um, to make people just want to buy whatever it is that she's selling. Yeah. Whereas Scooter Braun, you know, he is less concerned about that image. Right. He is in a certain amount or a certain way because he stands to benefit right. from people's perception of her. So in a way, there is a good reason for him to not fight openly with her. But even even fighting openly with her keeps her name in the headlines Keeps people thinking about her music, which then does benefit him. At the end of the day, this has a lot to do with Taylor Swift and Taylor Swift's side of the of the you know battle, for that matter. Um, uh, intentionally deciding to litigate this in the in the court of public opinion, meaning they saw uh, they saw an opportunity to try to control the narrative in a way that would sway the public one way or the other, and it is the public's decision whether they which way of battle they prefer but at the end of the day there's like a large percentage of percentage of the population who doesn't give a flying you know what yeah who aren't paying attention but this i think more and more with social media being what it is we are going to see certain people i'm not even going to just say celebrities certain public figures well we've already seen it using Twitter as a platform oh, yeah. to try to win over the court of public opinion. Yeah. 
And the world doesn't necessarily work that way, but the perception works that way. Yeah. I think we're there. Yeah, we're definitely... It's too late. Can't unring that bell. When we come back on the Colleen and Bradley show, Thanksgiving's coming up. I know you've got a really irritating family. You're probably going to need a break. When you need a break from your family on Thanksgiving, what do you do? 651-641. Okay. 1071. Have you been waiting for just the right job? Then welcome to the end of your search. Amazon has seasonal warehouse jobs in your area, and now is a great time to apply. You can start getting paid right away and work close to home. Applying is easy. You don't even need an interview. So what are you waiting for? Come join the team and get a great seasonal job offer today. Visit Amazon.com hiring. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer.